am Hannah Smay. And I'm Haley Robinson. And this is the Wild Idaho Podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the lands you love. Each month, we'll be exploring a new topic or current event that impacts the environment in Idaho. Join us to learn about the work we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Idaho. I'm Hannah, and I'm here with Shelby Herber and Matt Nikeel, who are on the ICL staff in the Sandpoint office. Matt is our North Idaho Conservation Associate, and Shelby is our North Idaho Community Engagement Assistant. Hi, listeners. Hey, listeners. Our episode today is all about Lake Coeur d'Alene, a beautiful, iconic lake located in North Idaho with a bit of a dark past and some serious contamination issues. ICL and Matt and Shelby specifically have been hard at work on the issue, encouraging residents of lakeside communities and visitors to Lake Coeur d'Alene to urge the Environmental Protection Agency or the EPA to develop a new cleanup plan and direct new funds to clean up the lake. Do we want to just jump in and give our listeners a little bit of a background on where Lake Coeur d'Alene is and give a brief description of its history? Sure. And Shelby, feel free to punch in with anything I might miss out or points you want to add. But Lake Coeur d'Alene is located in the panhandle of Idaho. It's one of Idaho's largest lakes. And its headwaters, which is known as the Silver Valley, have been the site of lots of historic mining activity, dating all the way back to the late 1800s. Back then, miners headed towards California stopped by and discovered silver and lead and all sorts of other metals in North Idaho. And there was a huge mining boom for over 100, over 100 years. And this valley in the headwaters of Lake Coeur d'Alene is one of the largest metal producing areas in the entire world. So all that mining happened in the time when we didn't have a lot of environmental laws that protected things like our water and the land and forests and wildlife. And so when the mining companies were digging up metals, they had excess, what are called mine tailings. So the excess of of their mining processes that they just shoveled onto the land or into a dump or directly into the river and those things washed throughout the water system throughout the the Coeur d'Alene and the south fork of the Coeur d'Alene River all the way down into Lake Coeur d'Alene and some of it even continues to be discharged down into the Spokane River in uh, western Idaho and eastern Washington so it's a long and interesting history and a troubling one from the environmental standpoint. Thanks, Matt. That's really helpful to understand the history of that area. And like you said, the Silver Valley. And so what is Lake Coeur d'Alene's connection to a Superfund site? Can you, I understand that there's like a Superfund designation up there. Can you maybe explain what a Superfund site is and what are some of the issues we're currently seeing in the lake and the surrounding areas? Yeah. So Superfund refers to a federal law, and the name of the law isn't actually the Superfund law. The name of the law is commonly referred to by its acronym, which is CERCLA. And CERCLA stands for Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act. So you can see why people refer to it by its acronym and then abbreviate it to Superfund. And essentially, 
what you need to know about the law is it's the law that our country legislated to respond to what we were finding to be many different sites throughout the country of normally industrial activity that a company or a set of companies might have been involved in, whether it's mining or chemical production or oil production. And that process and that business resulted in the land or the water being polluted or contaminated. And the trouble was a lot of these companies were either going out of business or they were cutting and running and the public was being left with the bill to clean up all that mess. And so this law, CERCLA or Superfund, was created to give the Environmental Protection Agency authority to clean up all these really, really polluted areas and to seek out compensation from the companies or individuals who are responsible for the contamination. And because of the history of mining in North Idaho and in the Silver Valley, it was so contaminated that the EPA listed this area in Idaho under the Superfund as an area that needed extreme attention and funding to be cleaned up because it was such a hazard to public and environmental health. And initially, the cleanup of the Silver Valley was focused in the area where, d directly in the populated areas where mining occurred and where smelting of different metals occurred, where the pollution was um, most concentrated. And the area of the Superfund site over time was expanded as we discovered that the contamination really kind of bled out from that area over a massive part of the region. So the Superfund site in the Silver Valley, its name is the Bunker Hill Mining and Metallurgical Complex Superfund site. And it's also known as the Coeur d'Alene Basin Superfund site. But it now includes an area of over 1,500 square miles that spans from the Idaho-Montana border all the way across uh, the Panhandle to the Idaho-Washington state border. And then it actually extends into Washington, eastern Washington along the Spokane River for some distance. And so just to give you like a little sense of how big that area is, the state of Ro Rhode Island is smaller than 1,500 square miles. So this Superfund site is larger than the state of Rhode Island. It's a massive area, and it's going to take a lot of time and money to, to finally clean it up. And that process is going on right now and has been going on for the better part of two or three decades now. Thanks so much for that history of the Superfund site and for explaining about what that designation means. I'm wondering if you could also maybe go into who who's most at risk by the contamination of Lake Coeur d'Alene and who are kind of the affected stakeholders in the issue. Yeah, let me tee that up just a little bit more. There's like one kind of twist to the Superfund designation that's kind of interesting. And I mentioned earlier that, right, the Superfund site is this massive area, 1,500 square miles across the Panhandle. And although Lake Coeur d'Alene is within the Superfund site, the state of Idaho, during the time the Superfund decision was being made, was very opposed to the lake becoming a Superfund site because at the time they felt that Superfund designation would be a stigma on the lake and would sort of deter people from moving there and starting businesses. And so as a result of the state of Idaho's opposition, although the lake is still part of the Superfund site, the EPA decided to defer issuing a cleanup plan for the lake 
and instead leave the cleanup of the lake and the management of the lake to the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe to manage between the two of them. And this has been um, a cause for issue because the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe just simply don't have the same kind of you know, funding that the EPA has available to it to manage and protect the lake. So whereas the EPA is continuing to clean up the Silver Valley and upstream of Lake Coeur d'Alene and the, some areas of contamination along the Spokane River downstream of Lake Coeur d'Alene and using, you know, the EPA was able to secure hundreds of millions of dollars from some of the mining companies who were responsible for the pollution in this area. And so the EPA has all that money at their disposal, but because of the technicalities of the law, because the lake doesn't have an EPA cleanup plan, the EPA can't use that money on the lake. And instead, that falls on the Idaho, state of Idaho taxpayers and the members of the Coeur d'Alene tribe to, to foot that bill. And so there's this kind of interesting twist. And the, the real issue behind the lake is, like I said, when all that mining occurred upstream of the lake, a lot of the mining waste flowed downstream into the lake and has settled on the bottom of the lake. And it's estimated that there are over 75 million tons of metals contaminated sediment lying on the bottom of the lake. So just a huge, this lake is essentially a huge repository for all this mine waste. And right now, the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe have been managing the lake to make sure that that mine waste stays on the bottom. And it can stay on the bottom so long as the water layers uh, above the mine waste maintain enough oxygen. The oxygen serves kind of like a cap and keeps that mine waste on the bottom. But if the lake water oxygen is reduced or depleted too much, there's a chemical reaction that can take place and those metals have the potential to dissolve back into the water column, which could affect all sorts of things like drinking water, the, the water that wildlife, fish and birds rely on, the water that people recreate in. And so one of the goals has been making sure that we keep enough oxygen in the lake to keep those metals on the bottom. And the, the primary way that you do that is reducing nutrient pollution in the lake. And sort of this complex web of interactions, but by nutrients, I mean like phosphorus and nitrogen, things that you might fertilize your lawn with, or things that might come out of our wastewater from our sewage plants, or nutrients that might run off a hillside when it's been clear cut in a logging operation. Those can flow down into the lake and cause plants in the lake like algae to grow. And as those plants grow and die, they suck up the oxygen in the lake. And so one, one approach to managing and protecting the lake has been trying to reduce nutrient pollution into the lake so that the metals are able to stay on the bottom because the, the water has enough oxygen in it to, to cap those metals. So it's kind of a complicated chain of different things, but feel free to, to ask any questions you might have about it, that. But that's sort of the, the conundrum is how do we... How do we manage those metals in the bottom of the lake? And how do we do it if we don't have access to all that money EPA has because the EPA hasn't developed a cleanup plan for the lake? That's, like you said, that's such a complex web of interconnected pollutants and materials and historical legacy, the historical legacy of the mining coming into connection with our current practices and the current way we use the lake. And 
from the way you described it, it seems so precarious. It's like super fine balance between oxygen levels and metals. And it just seems like it's on a precipice, right? It's this like super careful balance that one factor could throw it off and then the problem could like multiply and and worsen really quickly and really severely. Yeah, that's exactly it. And what's especially troubling is right now, the monitoring that the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe are doing shows that the water quality trends in the lake are going in the wrong direction, that we're seeing more and more nutrient pollution into the lake, and that in some portions of the lake, the oxygen is being depleted. And as you say, it's one of those things where if conditions get too bad, it's really hard to reel it back in because it's such a large system that ideally we need to be preventing, doing everything we can to prevent water pollution in the lake now. Because if we start to see the metals on the bottom of the lake dissolve into the water column, it it may be too late at that point to do anything to stop it. And so I think that's one of the important lessons that the Silver Valley and Idaho learned when they were dealing with uh, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, that they just took a really long time to respond to the air and water pollution in the Silver Valley. And people got hurt because of that. People got lead poisoning because of that. And they responded too slowly. And so I'm hopeful that we've learned that lesson and will respond more quickly with the lake. Matt, just like highlighting that timeline again, when was the Bunker Hill mine site? When was that first in operation? I believe Bunker Hill Mine was one of the early mines that was established in the valley. It was the most prolific metals producing mine in the valley. So I think the metals were discovered in that mine kind of early on in like the late 1800s. And even with the Bunker Hill Mine and Smelter Complex closing, I think in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. I guess I was curious, and how long has it been in the hands of the Coeur d'Alene tribe and Idaho State? Yeah. So the mine and the mill and the smelter closed in like 1980 or 1981. I think it was around that time, the early 1980s, that this area was listed on the national priorities list, which is it's essentially like the list of places that will become official Superfund sites. And the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe, I believe, were granted authority to manage the lake around 2002. And the way that the tribe and the state have managed the lake have has gone through several iterations, right? They've developed a couple different management plans, and the most recent of which was issued in 2009, I believe. It's the 2009 Lake Management Plan. Just to sum up, the the state and the tribe have been managing the lake under the current lake management plan for the last decade. They had been managing the lake before then as well. So I don't know if that helps a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It it can get a little confusing, (laughs) the timeline. So thanks. Super confusing. And it's just like, right, it's so such a long period of time. There's so many twists and turns in this story. It's really hard to keep track of. But that reminded me, part of the history that I think is so interesting I was reading about is how much this place, this region has changed because of the way that we have decided how to use it. So like there are authors and reports 
from back in the late 1800s who recorded what they saw before mining really took hold. And it's just really kind of, it's just so impressive to like hear about what this area used to be like. So there's this gentleman, Eugene Smalley, who was reporting on the gold rush in North Idaho. And he was describing the Coeur d'Alene River Valley at that time. And he wrote, in shallow places, the river is transparent as cut glass. In deeper places, it has a lovely pellucid green color. And in the pools that lie at the feet of enormous craggy precipices, it becomes an indigo blue. Everywhere, the wilderness is unbroken. Everywhere, the forest-covered mountains hug the shore. And then, um, so that, that was the end of his little report. There was another one that's really kind of beautiful that I was reading about. Yeah. So in that book, Leaded the Poisoning of Idaho's Silver Valley by Michael C. Mix, he includes a report from uh, an author about Pacific Northwest history and conservation issues. This author described a steamboat trip up the Coeur d'Alene River from Harrison to Mission Flats in the late 1890s. He said, the Coeur d'Alene River was at that time one of the most beautiful streams imaginable. It was clear as crystal, deep with the cottonwoods and silver beaches on both banks. Between the trees were glimpses of flat meadowlands, covered with rich grasses, running back to pine-clad mountains. Near Mission Flats, the stream was alive with trout and other fish. They could be seen by the thousands in the clear water and were a source of amazement to boat passengers. And so that was the end of that passage. But there are all these like really beautiful descriptions of this area. And then the author goes on to share uh, descriptions of the same areas, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later. And um, pretty, uh, pretty dramatic change. So like, here's one of them. Here's one of the descriptions, like years later after mining had gone on. This uh, passage was from John Knox Coe. He was the city editor of the Coeur d'Alene Press newspaper. And he wrote in December 1929 a piece called Paradise Lost, Up the River of Muck and Into the Valley of Death. And he described a scene during a boating trip from Harrison where the Coeur d'Alene River enters the lake to upriver areas. And he goes on to say, our exploration very nearly ended when the boat became hung up at the mouth of the river. The hour in extricating the boat from the mess of mud, slime, and mill refuse, in the midst of a stench that was almost stifling as the propeller churned the accumulation from the bottom of the river was the best evidence of what is actually taking place in the Coeur d'Alene River that could ever be found. On every side, the once beautiful valley is a picture of desolation. Mile after mile showed a continuation of the same condition. Banks covered with the mill deposit, thousands of acres of what was once some of the most wonderful meadowland in the country, now a waste of yellow swamp grasses covered with muck and slime. Buildings that were once imposing homes, large hay barns and cattle barns telling of prosperous years, large incomes, and happy community life are all sad reminders of what once was. The buildings have collapsed, windows, doors, and fences are all wrecks of their former selves. 
Shingles and shakes of former days are broken and decayed, and moss is growing where once bright sunlight spread its beam of cheer. The ranches are silent, where once hundreds of cattle browsed on the rich and succulent grasses, where the husbandman was busy with the scythe and sickle, and harvest was a busy season, where happy life and prosperity reigned. Now all is peaceful and quiet. It is a veritable valley of death and a paradise lost. So, thanks for humoring me but there's just the history like we were talking about is so interesting and to to learn about how beautiful and vibrant this area was and then all the damage and degradation it's been victim to is really kind of breathtaking to read about thanks so much for sharing those with us Mm -hmm. Uh, i think is i think you're right that it's these places have been degraded and we just sort of that's what we see every day and that's the kind of new reality that we come to accept it's hard to remember the way that it was before and the history that you just read to us i think really drives the point home that, that this place that silver valley and lake Coeur d'Alene, like that historical source said it was really a paradise and that the contamination suffered from mining really caused a lot of harm to people and environment alike so i think it's really helpful to to understand that now, as we are sort of fighting to right the wrongs or fighting to remediate these degradations and contaminants that we that everybody who lives in that area or visits that area comes into contact with and in, in some way. That actually reminds me of one of the comments we received from a Coeur resident was talking about how her family had been in North Idaho since 1876. And her family had worked in the mines and just all that destruction of the environment and just the exposure had led her family to have skyrocketing cancer rates. Yeah, long line of ripple effects. I will say, though, that since the immediate mining destruction that we were just talking about raised the the banks of the river and created all that muck and all of that kind of apocalyptic description. The trees have grown back on the banks and the water has, has flowed out and there are contaminants that remain and effects in people's bodies. Shelby, like you just said, that remain, but the area has sort of regenerated in some ways. The issue that we're talking about today is less about the, the muck on the banks and trees down and really mucky water as it is about the materials from the mine waste that settled and remain in the area where they're more invisible than some of the visible effects that Matt, you were just reading about from the book. So I think it's just important to note that while the mining activity had some really severe effects on the landscape. There are sort of those immediate effects that have since sort of regrown a little bit. And then there's the long lasting effects. That is what ICL and others have been working to remediate in our efforts to clean up Lake Coeur d'Alene and include Lake Coeur d'Alene in the Superfund remediation cleanup process from the EPA. So as you know, as ICL works on this issue from sort of an environmental policy perspective, 
I'm wondering if you you both, Matt and Shelby, could share with our listeners sort of how ICL has been involved in this issue, maybe in the past and now recently with this new call to action for folks to write to the EPA and who are some of the partners in the communities that we've been working with to work together to call for uh, remediation and call for the EPA to address the issues at Lake Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. So there are a lot of stakeholders that we work with and they include the Coeur d'Alene tribe, which had called much of this area in Idaho its home before white European settlers came in and took it from them. So we work quite closely with the Coeur d'Alene tribe, the state of Idaho as well, and EPA Region 10, um, as well as local governments, so the county and city governments in the area. The Idaho Conservation League participates in different forums where all of these stakeholders come together to try and find ways to find win-win solutions to the problems with the lake. And I think one thing we're all sort of zeroing in on is this hang-up that I discussed earlier about the funding issue. So trying to find ways to help EPA and the federal government allow the state of Idaho and the Coeur d'Alene tribe to access some of this Superfund money to help manage and protect Lake Coeur d'Alene. And one of the ways that we're engaging the public and trying to help move that process along is encouraging people in our community here in North Idaho to reach out to the EPA and share, as Shelby shared, their stories about how important the lake is and concerns that they have about the lake's future health and to encourage the EPA to step in and help us come up with a more effective cleanup and management plan for the lake and to allow our communities to be the beneficiaries of that settlement money that's come from agreements with past polluters uh, and to use that money on the lake. And so we've been advocating for people to make these comments right now to the EPA because the EPA is currently in a process where they're reviewing their progress on cleaning up the Superfund site here in the Coeur d'Alene Basin. And we're encouraging folks to make the point that the lake should be part of that cleanup process and the lake should be the beneficiary of the EPA's attention and the EPA's funding. So that deadline's coming up. Uh, The deadline to comment on this review, this EPA review is coming up at the end of April. Yeah, and to add on to that, if folks go to www.idahoconservation.org, you can find this Take Action under our ICL Take Action Center. We'll also link it below our SoundCloud description of this episode. So you can just go to the description of this episode and click on that and you can learn more about the lake. You can submit your comment again by April 30th. But if there are folks who are listening to this podcast after that date, or if there are folks who are listening to it before that date and want to do more, what comes next, I guess, after uh, this comment deadline closes and our work continues? Yeah. So after the comment deadline closes, the EPA will begin drafting its five-year review. And so long as our current circumstances dealing with the pandemic don't change too many things, the EPA will issue its five-year review sometime in November or December of this year. And so one thing folks can do is watch for that to drop. 
and be part of the community of people who are interested to, to learn about that more and to comment on whether or not EPA has done a sufficient job writing that review. The other thing that I would add that people can do is there are a lot of personal individual actions we can all take to help manage nutrients in the lake. So for example, if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to live in and around Lake Coeur d'Alene or own lakeshore property, right? One of the ways that nutrients are increasing in the lake is when people use fertilizer on their lawns that runs off into a, a tributary to the lake or to the lake directly. And so reducing or eliminating fertilizer use in and around the lake is an important individual step that we all could take. And similar to that is you know, if you have property near a waterway, making sure that you keep to the extent you can the riparian vegetation along the, the riverbank or the lakeshore of your property, because that natural native vegetation can hold up rainwater or snow water runoff that goes into the lake or to the river. And that can help trap nutrients in the soil rather than having it run into the water. There are other actions that we all can take, whether it be related to those, those sort of property management actions to things we can advocate for on a larger scale about how we manage the forest system here with logging and timber activity. But those sorts of things, there's just so many resources uh, available online. There's a Lake Assist program for Lake Coeur d'Alene that helps detail some of those actions um, folks can take if you're still interested to continue following this issue and helping us uh, come to some some solution for protecting the lake. Thanks for that, Matt. That's really helpful to me and I think hopefully helpful to our listeners who are inspired by some of the history that we've learned today and are motivated and passionate about, um, like you said, protecting the lake and restoring the lake for future generations. Shelby, are there any comments that people have already submitted to the EPA that you think are maybe especially inspiring or or good to kind of close out our episode with some passionate words? Yeah, it's actually pretty exciting. Um, right now, we have over 200 individuals who have submitted personal comments to the Environmental Protection Agency regarding this issue and sharing their stories and concerns. And it's not just Idahoans that have been writing in either. Definitely folks from Spokane and those across the nation that have just had such a connection to this special lake. And yeah, I'll read a couple that I thought were quite inspiring. One of them is from a teacher over in the Coeur d'Alene district, and her name is Deb G. And she wrote in, I teach in a high school in Coeur d'Alene and have led some of my students in Waterkeeper Alliance tours to educate them about the health of our lake. Lake Coeur d'Alene is the heart and lifeblood of our community, and I'm worried that the hazardous mine waste is not effectively addressed to protect public health and the environment. EPA, please show my students superior leadership in your planning for our lake's future. Another one that just kind of sheds light on the magnitude or just how many folks are really involved. Lake Coeur d'Alene is a staple to not only our Coeur d'Alene city community, but to the inland Northwest region as a whole. 
In the inland Northwest, we love, cherish, and care deeply about the natural areas that surround us. It is a large reason many of us call this home. To see the amount of pollution that has gone widely unnoticed in this beautiful lake is heartbreaking and cannot go on any longer. And I'll read this one from Sam B. My first memories are on Lake Coeur d'Alene. It is the place I learned to love, appreciate, and coexist with nature. The place I learned that the simple moments are the ones we will remember. It is the place that I hope my children and grandchildren will learn some of the same lessons and gain some of the same cherished memories as the generations before them have. Those are so great. I love those. Yeah, it's really neat to just get such a variety of uh, perspective from just all walks of life that Lake Coeur d'Alene's really had a major impact on. Yeah, and I think like I was just impressed at like, I mean, it's so clear how important this place is to people because it's driven them to like, take the time to sit down and, and write such thoughtful comments and share those parts of themselves with uh, a federal agency. Yeah, so inspiring. Yeah. Okay, wait, I'll read one more from Billy L. He says, I grew up on the lake. It is a source of joy for anyone who has experienced its beauty. It is an integral part of the community, bringing everyone together at some point, not to mention the wildlife that depends upon it for survival and to keep a balance in the ecosystem. I implore you to protect the lake and all it represents to the people and the environment. Thanks so much for sharing those. Like you said, those are so inspiring and so powerful and just really emotional, right? Um, which is just a special thing to have, like Matt said, in a comment writing period for a federal agency. So good job to both you and Matt uh, for working on this issue so hard over the last many months. So just, I appreciate it. And for our listeners, please follow the link um, in our description of this episode and write your own comment in. There's a couple more resources that we'll link to in the description. Uh, we'll link to a blog by Matt giving an overview of the issue. We'll link to the book that Matt was reading from, which is again called Leaded, The Poisoning of Idaho's Silver Valley by Michael C. Mix. And then there's another great article about Lake Coeur d'Alene in the magazine High Country News that gives another really good description of the issue, the history, and some of the current stakeholders in the, in the issue. So if you want to learn more, there's lots of resources, and we'll link to a few of them in our description. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Matt and Shelby, for, for being with us today on our Lake Coeur d'Alene episode of Wild Idaho. And thanks listeners for tuning in and we'll see you next time.